The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When I found out I was going to be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon East. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Oh, we've got a lot of thoughts on the latest battle between the Republican presidential candidates, minus one, which we'll get to in just a moment. But first, wanted to share some big news with you. Save the date. December 6th is the next GOP presidential debate, and I'm happy to tell you that I will be returning to the debate moderator's chair that evening alongside News Nation's Elizabeth Vargas and a name you also know, the Washington Free Beacon's Eliana Johnson, our pal, who you know from the Free Beacon and hopefully from this show as well, uh, where the three of us together will take on these candidates and try to shed some light on what differentiates them. News Nation is the host of the debate, and you can catch the debate live on News Nation as well as here on SiriusXM. And Eliana, you know, is a great friend of this show. The big event will take place in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So I'm I'm very excited for this. As you know, it's been a frustration for me to watch some of the earlier debates this season because, you know, it's like I think it's the way a, a pitcher feels when he or she watches somebody else pitch, you know, like, You can appreciate their style, but you might do it your own way. And your way is kind of how you want to see it done. Um, Not to take anything away from all the debate moderators, but there certainly have been a couple who have been absolutely awful. (laughs) That's the truth. Uh, So I'm excited to get back out there. And I love Eliana. And I don't know Elizabeth Vargas well, but I'm excited to spend time with her. She and I have uh, children at a school together for a while, and I've always admired her. She's always been very cool, very fun to watch in her years on ABC, consummate pro. So we're already neck deep in it, uh, all of us. And it's been fun so far. And it's going to be even more fun for you on 12-6. Don't forget. Uh, My big takeaway from last night, nothing changed. Absolutely nothing changed. And that means former President Trump won. He won by not participating. But it is becoming more and more clear that this has really become a two-person race for second place. The question is, can either of them, Nikki or DeSantis, defeat the 800-pound gorilla. And if so, how? Well, how exactly? We've got an all-star lineup to discuss it all for you today. In just a bit, I'll be joined by Charles C.W. Cook and Michael Knowles. But we begin today with Eliana's partner in crime, one half of the duo we affectionately call the EJs here on The Megyn Kelly Show, Emily Jashinsky. She's culture editor at The Federalist and host of The Federalist Radio Hour, And Michael Moynihan is here as well. He's co-host of The Fifth Column back again today. Emily, Michael, great to have you. 
Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds, and stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's arkseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. arcseedkits.com. Thanks, Thanks, Megan. And I should say, if anyone is going to commit a crime, probably it's going to be Michael. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why, but I think the pro- the answer is probably yes. He's, he's someone's partner in crime. <laughs> With like zero hesitation, he signed on to that. Okay. Oh, for sure. For sure. He knows problem. what he did. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah, very long criminal record. Um, <laughs> Call me when you get pulled over by the police and we'll talk before before you talk to them, ideally. Um, okay. So we we saw the debate. I have to say, I enjoyed watching last night's debate. I did not enjoy watching the first two. Um, And I'm just going to give it to you. Honestly, I thought that the first two baits were a hot mess shit show in many ways. It was hard to follow. The moderators didn't have control. There was too much talking over one another. The second debate wasted so much time. So did the first on nonsense questions with, uh, you know, teeing up rich men north of Richmond by the singer and like stuff about ufos and who's the last person on the survivor island it was like would you ask relevant questions and just shrink then shrink toss them the ball let them be the stars let them mix it up with each other keep control so we can follow the arguments but it was a frustration last night they didn't do those things so i liked that all the questions were substantive and on point and i thought nbc surprisingly but most likely because it was under fire did did a good job of not sounding like they were working for MSNBC that night. You know, it was pretty much straight down the middle. Um, however, here is a cardinal sin as a moderator. If I'm asking you two guys questions and you are the presidential candidates and Emily, you say something and Michael disagrees with you and he jumps in like, no, actually, that's not what you said. I can say, stand by, I'll come to you next. <clears throat> but what happened last night was he would jump in and then he would stop and you would finish your point. And then they'd look at the third person over there and say, hey, you, Bob, here's a brand new topic. And mm. there was fire waiting to be caught. You know, there was lightning in a bottle sitting right there if you would just go to Michael Moynihan. But they mm. wouldn't. They'd go to some third party who wasn't involved in the skirmish on a totally different topic. And therefore, what was missing from last night's debate, for the most part, was debate. <laughs> debate. It was conducted much more like a long form interview, um, which for me as a somebody who's moderated debates was a frustration. I want I don't want to see an exchange between Kristen Welker and the and the candidates. I want to see them fight with each other. And by fight, I mean, you know, spar. I want to see them point out each other's weaknesses and differences. So I walk away with, oh, I see. Yeah, they are different. That one. Yeah, it's nuanced. I see what he's saying. And they'll go places the moderators won't go, which is interesting. So it was missing that. Um, anyway, you know, overall, I give it the highest mark of the three so far, but 
there's still a ways to go. Emily, what'd you think? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I think also what helped a lot, and I'd actually sort of forgotten about it because some of the candidates that weren't on the stage are so forgettable, but I do think NBC had this incredible benefit of only having five candidates to wrangle that helped a lot. I'm Basically, I'm trying to not give too much credit to NBC because I think mm -hmm. they learned from the first two debates and then they had this benefit of having only five candidates. I agree with you. They should have actually allowed some of the contrast to come out. And I actually think that's why when Vivek Ramaswamy as uh, I think grading as he was for the rest of the debate, looked right at Kristen Walker and, and kind of tore into uh, NBC News at the beginning of the debate. I actually think that's why that was one of the better moments, because what you're doing by allowing NBC to host these debates is rewarding them for years of bad coverage. You're putting your candidates yep. in a risky situation where for primary voters, for a Republican primary voter, uh, they should be taking these candidates should be taking very tough questions. There's no there's no if and but about that. They should be facing the toughest possible questions, but they should be questions that allow Republican voters to suss out the contrast from their point of interest. And Kristen Welker is not channeling the interests of the average Republican voter very well. And I think that's why this entire first hour dedicated to foreign policy, some of those questions were great. Um, do I think that matches the average voters? I mean, foreign policy right now is incredibly important. Again, no question about that. Uh, but I think that's disproportionate to the average Republican Republican voters concern. I don't think there was much contrast that was brought out about foreign policy in that first hour. I think it was long, long form interviews where they went on scripted sort of uh, tangents about their own various degrees of experience on foreign policy. And if you had a better moderator, I was so glad to see the announcement this morning, Megan. Uh, if you had a better moderator, that would have been much more productive. Well, thank you for that. I'm, I will say I'm excited about the partnerships um, on this debate. and We've all been working on it together. But News Nation is this up and coming, you know, f new uh, cable news channel that is trying to be in the middle. And it's an ambitious undertaking. It's very hard in today's news environment to do that. But they're trying. And so you've got them. You know, they haven't planted a flag as righties or lefties. So it's interesting. And then you've got me and you've got Eliana. Both of us are in sort of outside, you know, the sort of legacy media lane. And that's exciting to me, too. Like I I when I left NBC, I did not anticipate I would be rejoining the ranks of presidential debate moderators because historically they, these debates have always gone to Fox, CNN, NBC, ABC and CBS. And that's it. So for me, I, I'm excited because I wanted to get back in there. And I know to your point, I can ask these questions from the angle that is most interesting to the people who are going to make the decisions about these guys. You know, I was saying the other day, I don't know that I'd be the perfect moderator for a Democratic primary, but I know I, I can do a great job on a Republican presidential uh, debate. And you're right. The way in and out of the question is the big tell. So let's spend a minute on that Vivek answer, uh, which was like right out of the gate. His the first thing he said, because it was very interesting and it was it went viral nothing had really been asked. You know, the moderators kind of yeah. opened it up with, why are you better than Trump? Who's the front runner? And DeSantis is like, well, cause I am, you know, he got us into debt and he didn't build the wall. Okay. And then they're like, how about you, Mr. Ramaswamy? And bam, here it is thought too. Why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We have a cancer in the Republican establishment. 
to speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Kristen Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Kristen, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you and the media and the corrupt media establishment. Ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. So what, what did you like so much about that, Emily? Well, I actually just like that if you're going to take the platform of NBC News, which I actually wish the candidates would have resisted it, you should use it as an opportunity to remind people about their failures. Um, and it's just that the big problem I have with NBC News is not that they lean left, it's that they're dishonest about it. And I actually think it's helpful mm -hmm. to start a debate by uh, attacking that pretense because that pretense is the biggest problem in the world. Uh, and the other thing is, you know, I actually would have focused on Lester Holt. And I think Lester Holt, um, I, I actually think Kristen Walker's one of the better so-called mainstream journalists, but Lester Holt is on the record uh, saying basically fairness is overrated. Uh, he's one of the biggest, uh, I think, he's one of the biggest examples of how the media has reimagined its own duty to its audiences. Uh, and, and so I, I think that was actually kind of a missed opportunity, but I was glad that right out of the gate, we sort of had someone attack or, or shatter this illusion of neutrality because that's one of the biggest problems in media. It's not that they aren't curious. It's not that they aren't, you know, asking tough questions. It's that they're pretending that they aren't leftists doing all of that. Mm -hmm. He actually did say the exact quote you just said, a little color from the Kelly Brunt household last night. We were watching it and my kids who, even when I was on NBC, didn't do a lot of watching of Lester Holt. Um, so one of them said, his name is Molester. <laughs> <Out of the, laughs> who would name their child that <laughs> it's short for that it's right. a it's a very brooklyn name these days these wild names that we have Sorry. in brooklyn yeah <laughs> you know i i love little children humor because it's my own too so i share the same sense so moynihan how about you would it let before i, I want to get to your top moment too but but sure what did you let's stay on the vivek answer for a minute yeah um I, an answer can have a lot of things in it that are true um, and also be a bad answer. I thought it was a very bad answer. I mean, for a few reasons. Number one, you haven't allowed the debate to take place and you're already impugning the moderators. I know they don't have the best history. Most people, as Emily said previously, want to know things about issues that are of concern to them. You know, replaying out of the gate, like the media thing. Look, it's he's doing the Trump cover band thing, right? I mean, at the beginning, he says... You know, Rona, this is th these are the this is the problem. 2018, 2020, 2022, last night. What who's missing from that? Well, Donald Trump. I mean, obviously. And so Donald Trump is obviously a problem and very, very bad cover bands of Donald Trump, bad MAGA candidates, which is what destroyed the Republicans in 2022, the Herschel Walkers of the world, the Mehmet Oz's of the world. And, you know, we've seen this in the past with Sharon Angle back in, what, 2012. And, you know, I am not a witch, uh, O'Donnell. But this kind of thing, when you come out of the gate and you say, oh, let's let's do the media thing, because you are not Donald Trump. 
You cannot do Donald Trump. Do you know that people have been saying for, you know, 50 years, you know, Brent Bozell's organization has been around for a very long time saying the media is liberal. People know the media is liberal. The way Donald Trump did that was was a very, very particular thing that he did. He did it very well. And, you know, I didn't love the tone always, but I've been in press pens when entire uh, stadiums of people turn around and boo you. And I'm like, this is actually pretty entertaining and working. And then you leave the press pen and people are all nice to you. It's kind of, you know, professional wrestling in a way. But Vivek mm -hmm. is constantly trying to do the Donald Trump impression. And you know that that was scripted. This was not a moment. And every person who knows anything about Republican politics remembers Ronald Reagan saying, I paid for this microphone. What an amazing moment. Now in the social media age, you have Vivek and a team of people writing this stuff, the three inch heels comment to Nikki Haley. This, well, you know, whatever the question was going to be, he was going to land on NBC is bad. Yes, NBC has done absolutely ridiculous things, particularly on the Trump Russia stuff. But you're just trying to get applause lines and you're trying to make a viral moment. I don't think that that does anything for the average American voter. And by the way, I want to say that I think Emily was right too, that foreign policy is very important. It has taken the backseat um, in, in so many previous elections, but it was a very long time. And even the moderates, I think it was one of the moderates who said, now let's get on to something more or less saying that means a lot to the American people, the economy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was an hour and 10 minutes into it. So I think the order was a bit off. And, you know, Megan, to your point um, about the style of debate, I think that that is correct. I was sort of happy because the attempts to make people go at each other were so disastrous in the last two debates that it was kind of calm. And I was like, okay, I'm you actually here. The because answers. they didn't control it. That's why, yep. because the moderators ceded control in the fight and that's where they fell down. Debate is yeah. debate. Debate means both debate candidates go back and forth at each other. Maybe you bring in the third or fourth, whoever wants in and is relevant. Yeah. But you, as the moderator, it's your job to keep control so that the audience can hear and understand. And they would understand that, you know, taking you guys as an example. Again, I would just say like, Ms. Jashinsky, stand by. You're going to get your your turn. Go ahead, Mr. Yeah. Moynihan, finish your point. Right. And so then yeah. then you will be respectful. Then you're just going to. Should I like say something bad about Emily right now and test that? Because I, <laughs> you might as well. I just insult her right now. Scum? <laughs> I, is it scum? Because that one's already been tried. She yeah. Emily is scum and everyone knows it. <laughs> <laughs> I should have prepared. And to those who didn't watch last night, I am not calling Emily scum. That no. is what Nikki Haley we'll, said about Vivek. This will be, this will be contextualized very shortly. Yes, we'll contextualize, right. yes. <laughs> so, so I had some thoughts on the on the Vivek moment. I love to see people bash NBC for very obvious and personal reasons. <laughs> yeah. But I also find them disgusting and biased um, for all the same reasons everybody else does. I mean, the, the Russiagate thing is the perfect example. He, he chose the best example. Um, but I think it would have been much more effective if he had done it in response to a biased question. And they they weren't hurling a lot of those at him last night, I think intentionally. Yeah. They they knew Very they had much. sinned and that any Republican up there would love to take advantage of their many, many sins. So it looked a little bit like, you know, in the courtroom, they always say, as a lawyer, you can go after a witness, but he has to earn it. Otherwise, the jury's going to be on his side instead of yours as the lawyer. So you have to wait until they earn it and I think for some, you know, maybe people who aren't as obsessed with media as we are, maybe they know the media generally leans left, but they don't really know Kristen Wilkers or Lester Holtz's yeah. media sins. It might have seemed like, whoa, what, what's he doing? What? Like, he showed up. They're giving him a big platform. He's in front of millions of people because of them. Why is he attacking them like that? So, you know, ideally for Vivek, 
he would have been attacked. And I think before he did that, I don't think he was trying to channel Trump so much as he was trying to channel Newt Gingrich, who had one of the most viral debate moments of all time. He got asked a very personal question at the top of a debate with CNN by John King and let him have it. And Republicans all over the nation went, yes, yes. Here it is. Would you like to take some time to respond to that? No, but I will. I think the destructive, vicious, negative nature of much of the news media makes it harder to govern this country, harder to attract decent people to run for public office. And I am appalled that you would begin a presidential debate on a topic like that. The audience leapt to its feet. Mm -hmm. So he was looking for that. And I will say to me, it seemed performative. Newt Gingrich was authentic. He he's one of the sharpest minds we've had. I mean, truly, that guy is scary smart. Um, He had it. He knew he got attacked. He flipped it on the moderator. It was super effective. His indignation was real. Vivek. I'm so mad about what happened last night in those votes. And I'm going to take it out on Ron. You know, Vivek Ramaswamy's only voted one time in his life. He's 38 years old. He admits he never even went to the polls to ever vote for a single presidential race ever. Presidential, that's the one everybody manages to get done. You know, like most people don't do primaries, what have you, except the most have. So suddenly he's like, I'm outraged about how the Republican Party is being run. What? You weren't even like really in politics until two minutes ago. And then he takes aim at Ronna McDaniel, which, okay, fine. A lot of people have problems with the RNC, but the RNC has its hands in federal elections, not state elections like the ones we were seeing everywhere last night. So I'm not sure how you blame that on Ronna, but okay. He he called her out by name. Again, she was the reason he was there. She, the RNC and NBC provided the platform. Um, Then he names Tucker, Elon, and Joe Rogan. All right. Tucker. Yes, I could see that. Elon Musk would never moderate a presidential debate. Obviously he's way too busy and important for you, Vivek. Or any of you people up there. Yes, he launched DeSantis to think that was on his platform, Twitter X now, because it was it helps him. But this is it's absurd to picture. Sure. I mean, sure. Why don't we get Superman to do it the next time? And Joe Rogan is a Democrat. Joe Rogan would be coming at him from a farther leftist position than Kristen Welker or Lester Holt. Just because he's non woke doesn't mean he's a Republican or understands the issues that are important to Republican voters. He was a Bernie Sanders supporter last time around. So stop with the pander. That was an obvious pander. Oh, we'd have 10 times the rate. Okay. All right. Fine. Okay. Um, And then I didn't like the landing. Answer it now. It it looked obnoxious. It was a sort of a bully way to, he didn't stick the landing. It seemed like an open middle finger and it's just a bad dynamic. Don't, don't look at the female moderator who's like smiley and so far hasn't done anything to upset anybody. And be like, answer it now. She's not running for president. She's not running for chief media queen. She's just like, it just, so that's why I didn't think net net that it worked. Notwithstanding the fact that I agree with everything you said, Emily, about what was appealing about it. 
No, I agree with all of that. Yeah. And I, I hated the ending. I hated that line about who should be moderating the debate. It struck me as just insane, though, that Vivek was the only person of all of the candidates so far in this cycle. Um, Gallup had its, its survey out last last month of its annual check-in about media trust. Actually, since 2016, when it hit a record low, they've been doing this since 1972, uh, we are back at that record low. So if, if anything was going to fix the media, it would have been this realization that the host of Celebrity Apprentice became president and you know to see the rnc and none of the candidates push back uh really hard on the corporate press's cooperation in these debates has been yep. really disappointing so for me it was really great to just see like it, it wasn't it, it was so imperfect and i think his whole shtick worked in the first debate he was on, got that sugar high afterwards i think everybody's sick of it now i think it comes across as totally performative but oh my gosh i just wish so badly that other republicans would give the media the respect it deserves and and that would be sort of tearing away that pretense. Well, to your point, that's one thing people love about Vivek is he's ballsy. You know, like all the other candidates up there feel the same way about NBC. But nobody else really kind of had the yep. stones to shove it down their throat. And so that's one thing you like about Vivek. He's getting kind of ballsy. And, you know, sometimes it works. It, it was a little bit. You remember, I don't know if you guys are old enough. Moynihan, you are. Sybil. Remember Sybil oh, with come Sally on. Field where what? she had the multiple. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, how it's, far back do you want to go? <laughs> I'm just saying, just when you grow up in the 70s and 80s, you re- you know these references. It was slightly yeah, before even okay. that time. But she yeah. had multiple personality disorder. So like <laughs> in the first debate, Vivek was like, I fucking hate all of you. Everybody's bought and paid for except for me. Yeah. Everyone sucks except for me. And I'm the only one with the confidence yeah. to tell you the truth. And then the second debate, he's like, he, he had some bad polls and some bad focus groups. And um, he came out and he was like, oh, I, you know, I just got a little excited. And I kind of came across yeah. as a know-it-all, but I'm just a cheery, you know, soldier. I'm just here to help. Like, here, let's do it. And then last night, he actually gave an interview to, NBC, to ABC saying, my goal is to be unhinged. That was his word. I, I, I want that's the most honest. honest he is. I mean, he doesn't feel honest when, and you're right. I mean, I don't want to make any Red Fox references or anything to give away my advanced age, <laughs> Megan. But um, any other television shows you want to throw out there? Um, so, like yeah. the Beverly Hillbillies used to say, no, the thing about New Gingrich and why that is a Jefferson's, good comparison. That was a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> as Wheezy once said, but the good the good thing about that comparison <laughs> is showing that clip is irrelevant because the best thing about Newt's answer there is when he says, do you want to answer this question? He says, no, it's not. This is not is something that if they've been going over with prompter, he says, no, but I will. And the answer is one to cut them down to size. Now, I have to yes. give NBC. um Actually, weirdly, MSNBC, a tiny bit of credit here. My friend Steve Kornacki did a, an amazing podcast about Newt Gingrich that oh, Newt Gingrich yes. loved so much that he called him and said, can I come on the last episode? Because he said no initially. No. And it goes over that that Gingrich. And you watch Gingrich's development as a politician. And the one thing about him, you can love him, you can hate him, you can think the contract with America was terrible or anything he did was terrible. But you always get the sense of him that none of this is in prompter. That this is somebody who actually believes in conservative ideals, conservative principles, which he can enumerate very quickly on Mike. And he goes out and shows you that. Whereas, you know, Vivek and these guys, when he says, I'm trying to be this, that's not an answer that anyone ever gives. I'm trying to be something. Be yourself. 
Go and tell mm-hmm. people what you believe, and then you will be selected for that office or in the primary. But you keep on trying to be the weather vane, say, what do Republicans want right now? And I'm going to try to be it. And I find it endlessly That's frustrating. Right. To me, it's very clear that Vivek has studied Tucker Carlson and wants to be Correct. just like him, but lacks Correct. the charm and frankly, yeah. the savvy of Tucker. I mean, yeah. Tucker is completely sincere. He's read more books than anybody I've ever met. He immerses himself in news and policy and thoughts and has for his entire adult career. Um, every single book you see behind Tucker Carlson, he's read. Same with you, Moynihan. I know the truth. Mm. Um, but Emily, probably you too. I'm just saying, I know it's a thing. And uh, and he's he's immersed himself in politics and, and issues and culture and so on for his entire professional life. So you can't fake that. Like you can yeah. try, you can watch his show and try to sound like him, but it's not going to work. We we can tell what you're doing and he would be much better served if he would just be himself. Like this really smart guy who went to Harvard and went to Yale Law and has got these, you know, interesting policy ideas and made a fortune in biotech um, and is sort of evolving on these issues and learning as he goes. That's fine. That's fine. We would understand yeah. that. But don't come out there like, I'm pissed about all the Republican losses and Ron and McDaniel needs me. It's like, you don't know anything. We all know you don't know anything about politics. You've been in it for two minutes. Show some humility in that lane. Okay, sorry. Um, okay, let's keep going. Who did you think won, Emily, overall? I think there's no question it was Nikki Haley. Uh, and as much as I personally don't like Nikki Haley, I think she needed that moment because now she is going to be super, super competitive in New Hampshire. She already is super competitive in New Hampshire. As you said earlier, Megan, uh, the vying for second place to Trump, distant, distant second place for Trump, but second place nonetheless. Uh, Nikki Haley is just about ready to overtake DeSantis. I know DeSantis is strong in Iowa. It's still not as strong as Trump. I know he thinks he's going to win Iowa. I know he staked his candidacy on winning Iowa. That's openly their strategy. Uh, but winning Iowa is not enough. Uh, that's, that's Jeff Rowe, his big consultant, was you know picked for that role because he helped Ted Cruz win Iowa. Well, I don't remember the Ted Cruz presidency, actually. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he's been president yet. So it doesn't, that's not enough. And so for Nikki Haley to come out there um, and, and put on a performance that I do think to a lot of people on the right who have been so sick of the Nikki Haley's of the Republican Party for two decades, saw something different in Trump. I don't think Nikki Haley is ever going to work. But I do think for that average Republican voter uh, who might be an educated suburban mom in a swing state, Nikki Haley is going to play pretty well. Again, I don't personally like her, but I do think that it's easy to lose sight in this kind of realignment conversation of the fact that that sort of uh, normal, educated suburban woman sees what Nikki Haley said. She had a very good answer, actually, shockingly good answer on abortion. They see what she said in response to that question, and they say, I'm with I'm with her. I think this is really, yeah. really interesting. Um, so for, for her to actually, I think, outshine Ron DeSantis, I think she she looked confident, especially for somebody who has been trailing uh, in the race. She looked confident. Pence is gone. Tim Scott always in these debates fades into the background despite his, his political prowess. He's fading into the background. Ron DeSantis was fine, but that is not good enough at this point. So I think that's a, a big win for Nikki Haley. The um, the fights like DeSantis and Haley went back and forth, but the fights of the night that were memorable Moynihan were Vivek and Nikki because it got yeah. personal. They clearly don't like each other. Remember, she clearly. said in the last debate, I get <laughs> I get dumber every time I listen to you. You know, she yeah. doesn't like him and he doesn't like her. At the end of the night, actually, we have videotape of it. They avoided each other. Here's uh, watch this video when the debate was over 
NBC kept the cameras rolling because they were doing like a post debate show. Can we see VO1? And um, he went right past her. Look, Vivek walks right mm. past her to shake Christie's hand, ignores her. It happened again in front of the lecterns. And in part, it was because of exchanges like this one where he took an, he took a shot at her as sort of the new Dick Cheney, as like neocon. He's totally anti-neocon. Here it was in South Five. So what I would tell Bibi is that Israel has the right and the responsibility to defend itself. I would tell him to smoke those terrorists on his southern border. And then I'll tell him as president of the United States, I'll be smoking the terrorists on our southern border. Corrupt politicians in both parties spent trillions, killed millions, made billions for themselves in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. You have the likes of Nikki Haley, who stepped down from her time at the UN. Bankrupt or in debt is, was her family. Then she becomes a military contractor. She joins the board of Boeing and otherwise, and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first, or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which case, we've got two of them on stage tonight. Okay. He added that bit at the end, in which case we've got two of them on stage tonight, which clearly was a reference to DeSantis. And even though we here at the Megyn Kelly show have talked about whether DeSantis has lifts in those boots, we are a podcast allowed to do stupid ass things on the presidential debate stage. That seemed lowbrow to me. He's doing shtick. Yeah. But his answer was, I mean, his attack on her seemed substantive and a fair place to go. And um, then she responded with the following sat six. First, like to say they're five inch heels and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Um, well, we got two of you on the second thing that I will say is I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. What? She's going to start sending all of the heels to Zelensky. What does I that even mean? I don't I understand what it. she means. I don't. You had the like, entire like, time maybe, to think of a response, and that's what she like said. Like they're a weapon. If you said they, I could use them as a weapon. Okay, I, I've I seen single white it. female. Boom into the eye. <laughs> I got it. Ammunition. I don't. It didn't land make for any me. sense. It didn't make sense. No, but wait, here I was mean, the big. Yeah. Here was the big. The big exchange between the two of them, where this will bring our scum reference together. Can we show that back and forth? I can't find the exact number. The, the team knows where it is. Go ahead. Well, I, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which is about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. Adult daughter. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. You're just the easy scum. Don't. That's an honest Smith? answer, by the way. That that's something not scripted, out of the side of her mouth. You're just scum. It I mean, was, that's wasn't a little... it totally a ripoff from Will Smith? Take my wife's name out. <laughs> yes. Effing mouth. Oh, yeah. yeah, but she said voice weirdly, much like heels or yeah. ammunition. She's a bit uh, mumbly <laughs> it up there. It was a glitch. Yeah, I was. Yes, it was, yes. <laughs> it was yeah. very very odd. I think that that the point that he was making is so monumentally stupid. That to say that, oh, uh, tick, should TikTok be banned? Your daughter uses it. It's like, well, I, I mean, your your daughter can be attacked, Vivek said after the debate, because she's an adult. 
It's like, yes, she can also decide whether or not to use TikTok and whether she thinks it's Chinese spyware. It's, it seems to be a ludicrous debate to begin with and probably not something that is is deserved to be elevated to the debate stage. But that said, the, the response to this is, you know, a chorus of boos. People thought, I mean, it's not even, it used to be like, don't attack Sasha and Malia. Don't attack Chelsea Clinton. They're too young, et cetera. It's not even about that. It's like sins of the father, sins of the family. Like, why is this even coming up? And I thought it was just a really low, um, not even a low blow, it was just a very stupid blow. But the previous thing, I mean, Vivek has got all of these things. He's just memorizing phrases and it just sounds so canned. You know, we, it's so funny. BB has to attack his southern border. Has he ever looked at a map of Israel? Were they attacked by Egypt? What is he talking about? So, so we can do our southern. Oh, I see what you're doing. You're trying to make that connection. He's gonna. He's gonna smoke them. Yeah, and everyone. It's just like, good lord, I can't stand watching this stuff. And Megan, I just want you to know, I do this for you. Otherwise, I wouldn't have watched it. I watch the view for you because every time I come on, it'll be a conversation about the view. (laughs) But this, (laughs) watching this is like, you know what? It was better than most debates, but I just find this kind of desperate. And you know, you can tell that he's a TikTok guy that it's of his generation because it's all sound bites. He's just trying to well, get. He, but he wasn't the only one in his defense. Like, it, it, for sure, for sure, them. for sure. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Sure, yeah. you are. And then the DeSantis says, you know, you shoot stone them. Stone cold dead. Stone cold like, dead at the yeah. border. Well, this guy trying and, to be yeah. John Wayne up there. All these little Harvard <laughs> Yale guys. Like, he's yeah. got. Yeah, no dog one, face pony soldier next. I mean, <laughs> no one's believing but that, that. See, but that's a good one. <laughs> Because it's Flying dog-faced pony soldiers <laughs> is so much better than anything they came up with. And by the way, the more that we get Nikki, so the, the more the Republican Party insists on uh, you know backing people like Nikki Haley and supporting the ideology of people like Nikki Haley, the more viveks we're going to get. And this is why it's not the politics we need, but it is the politics we deserve. It's Nikki mm-hmm. Haley coming back with the my heels are ammo line from him calling her <laughs> Dick Cheney in three inch heels. Like this is exactly what we deserve. It's so stupid. They're both bad. <laughs> I, I will say I will say one thing though. This is very bad timing for him. He launched a website the other day that was like sign the pledge not to be a neocon which it was like getting in a time machine to 2008 but it's an interesting moment to do it because it's a very bad moment to do it if you'd said this at any other time you know after the attack in israel i'm talking to friends who are conservatives and republicans and i was like oh my god you guys are all sounding like norman Podhertz. you're all sounding like neocons neocons right now this is kind of a neocon moment and it'll it'll die out but at this moment when you're doing this neocon attack it just seems kind of tone deaf to where a lot of republicans are at the moment i got it i didn't ask you michael what your favorite moment was like what what was your best moment for anybody last night who do you think won I, well, I think that, <laughs> I mean, I know America lost. That's all I know. But I mean, someone, <laughs> well, I, maybe Ron DeSantis, I thought was fine. You know, weirdly, I'll, I'll get um, crap from my listeners of Phil Collins for saying this. I think that, you know, weirdly, Chris Christie sounds sensible when he's not performing. He has moments of like, oh, I understand why he was a popular politician for a brief period of time in New Jersey. So I think that, you know, overall, and, and I think Emily's right, Tim Scott just kind of vanishes into the background very quickly and then tries to be bellicose about Iran and thing to get himself back up front. So overall, I think, you know, Haley and DeSantis, I think it's a sort of conventional opinion. Both did well. It doesn't matter at the end of the day because Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And I think the best uh, moment of the night, 
totally shocking for me to say because I have spewed nothing but hot contempt for Vivek Ramaswamy, but he was very good on this one moment where people talked about the disgusting uh, antics from anti-Semitic and you know anti-Israel uh, students on campus when he said, look, we have been talking about this sort of issue from a different perspective for a very long time, and the answer to this is not censorship. I believe that is true. And I believe it's very easy for people like us who have been talking about this stuff and talking about campus issues for a long time to lose sight of that. And we cannot lose sight of that, that Palestinian solidarity groups, whatever they might be, should not be banned from campus for being stupid. They should be debated and shown to be fools because they are fools and they're easy to debate. Don't try to shut them down. And I think that when Ramaswamy said that, it was actually an attack on DeSantis in a way. I think that yeah, really resonated with me. And I was like, I think that I was I was impressed that he didn't take the easy path there. So I thought Vivek landed that very well because he and I had a spat on Twitter about him initially saying, oh, I don't want these students to be outed who are in these groups. Like, I don't I didn't he didn't agree with like Bill Ackman, who was saying I want to I want yes. the names of the people who signed these letters saying it's all Israel's fault as the babies were n- not even in their graves yet. And I completely agree with Bill Ackman. I want their names too. They, I, yeah. Not only will I not hire them, I will encourage my friends not to hire them. I want to know exactly. It's a public who they letter. Are. Yeah. But what yeah. Ron DeSantis did is a different thing, and that's where Vivek saw the in, and he was right to take it. Vivek, yeah. uh, Ron DeSantis banned Students for Justice in Palestine from Florida State campuses, saying it's basically Hamas. They've said that we're at we're one with Hamas. And now you're in government. Now you're in the government working to stop a message that is controversial which is next level. And um, he he had a good in on it. And DeSantis didn't back down, but it made for a yeah. juicy exchange. Yeah. And as he said, and rightly said, that you th- people always lose um, perspective and think that once you establish a precedent like this, that they're not going to do it to you, which is exactly what happens. I remember the rise in sort of executive power under George Bush. And I remember saying to a friend, like, you know, what do you think Obama's going to do his first day in, in office is going to be an even bigger executive? And that's what happened. You think we'll use it for for the good of our cause. But it's like you start those those things going and it's a very slippery slope and other people will start doing it. and They'll do it to conservative groups next. And that's exactly mm-hmm. why it's not useful to have NBC, Kristen Walker and Lester Hope moderate, moderating this debate, because I would have loved to have heard a conversation about that. For example, Same. some of DeSantis's, like DeSantis's has already, the Stop Woke Act has already been used to target Dave Ramsey books in Florida yeah. schools. Like what Michael is saying is a very real concern. And are you, you know, saying DeSantis, I should have been the debate moderator, Emily? Because if you are, I think you're correct. <laughs> you're right. Scum, Michael. <laughs> I mean, it's also true. <laughs> These two things can exist. <laughs> but that's like Guys, I mean how how did they not have that conversation I don't know no it was and you're right because somebody who was coming at this from the right who immerses themselves in right-wing politics and culture issues and so on would have known gold let it go like yeah. foster yes this is exactly what the audience wants to hear more on no we moved right on frustrating um frustrating. hopefully hopefully you know there go before the grace of God but hopefully we'll we'll do better I have every hope and especially Eliana, it's so great to have the free beacon because they're like way outside sort of the legacy press. They're she's immersed terrific, in yeah. right wing politics. Yeah. It's going to be super fun. She's not going to come at any of these uh, issues from a Kristen Welker perspective. So anyway, it's all good. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank Thanks, you, Megan. OK, uh, much, much more ahead. We got Charles C.W. Cook. We got Michael Knowles. We got stuff to do. Stand by. 
The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I think you have to be honest with the American people. This is a personal issue for every woman and every man. Let's find consensus. Let's agree on what, how we can ban late-term abortions. Let's make sure we encourage adoptions and good quality adoptions. Let's make sure we make contraception accessible. Let's make sure that none of these state laws put a woman in jail or give her the death penalty for getting an abortion. Let's focus on how to save as many babies as we can and support as many moms as we can and stop Thank the you, judgment. Ambassador. We don't need to divide America over this issue anymore. Thank you, Ambassador. Senator Scott. Nikki Haley there on abortion. Welcome back to the Megyn Kelly Show. My guest now is Charles C.W. Cook, senior writer at National Review and host of the Charles C.W. Cook podcast. Charles, welcome back to the show. I am told by the team that that you thought was the best moment of the debate. Was it the best moment, her best moment? Go on. It was both. It was the best moment of the debate, and it was her best moment of the debate. I don't think you could improve on that as an answer if you're running for president of the United States and trying to convince people that you would be a good custodian of the whole country on this issue. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with everything that she said. My own view is that the federal government has no constitutional authority to regulate abortion in either direction. But she, I think, did a whole bunch of things there that are really important for Republicans to do. Um, the first one she did uh, was to acknowledge that people do feel really strongly on both sides of this issue. Now, she is clear that she is a pro-lifer, as, as I am. Uh, but that doesn't mean you have to ignore the, the strength uh, of the emotions it generates on the other side. And at every point, she acknowledged that. Uh, she then set the issue in its proper legal context, noting that it had been sent back to the states, that this is a good thing, that it shouldn't be decided by unelected judges. And she noted the unlikelihood of there being a federal resolution. Um, and I, in a self-interested way, which is fine, she's running for president, she essentially said to the, the audience and to the broader country, um, don't look at me, see the words pro-life, and make assumptions uh, that are divisive. Listen to what I'm actually saying. I think it was remarkably effective. And I think it does show uh, that, that she would be really strong as a candidate on this issue. Mm -hmm. In the general election, she she looked pretty good in the wake of what happened to the Republicans on Tuesday night with this message, right, which is not as hardline as DeSantis and you know some of the others Tim Scott was up there saying, I hope you'll all join me in a 15 week ban. Well, that just failed in Virginia with a very popular red state or re Republican governor. It's a blue state. Um, so and the others are kind of looking at him. Ron DeSantis is already back to six week ban. Um, she's tried to find this sort of more middle ground of sure, I'd love to have this, but the country's not behind it. And so let's be realistic, though. She continues to say we shouldn't give the death penalty to, to women who got abortions <laughs> that um, I'm pretty sure that's a straw man. I I might have missed some weird law in some state. I'm 
pretty sure we haven't been given the death penalty to women who have abortions. No, it, it is it is a straw man. But, you know, I actually think that it's quite a clever straw man in that she's also contending with a lot of straw men. If you ever debated abortion or discussed abortion, as I'm sure you have, people bring a lot of straw men to the table. Republicans are going to have an issue with this. And um, I, I think just laying that out there preemptively and saying, of course, that's not the sort of thing that I'm interested in is actually important um, because, you know, it's politics. Whenever you get involved in politics, especially on an issue such as this one, people make all sorts of claims uh, that aren't true. It was interesting because Vivek went on about when he was asked the abortion question about paternity tests. We need more paternity testing. <laughs> and again, I was like, how does that affect an abortion, like a woman deciding whether to have an abortion? Is it like, well, I got to figure out whether it belongs to this guy or that guy. I mean, I suppose in like extramarital, I mean, we're now down to a very, very sliver, right. a fine sliver of the abortion issue. I wasn't sure what that was. But again, it kind of struck me as yet another pander. Like, He's leaning into sort of the toxically masculine group of, I don't know, perceived Republican voters who are like, that's not my kid. I don't know. Not sure what he was doing there. <laughs> not sure it's the answer to abortion policy, but that's not for me to decide. All right. So who did you think was the big winner? Well, I think probably Nikki Haley followed closely by Ron DeSantis. Those two stand out. They are the the two competitors. Uh, I don't know how much of Trump's lead is real. I suspect a lot of it is. But if it's not, if we're talking here about people not being focused yet and high name recognition uh, and maybe Trump being the first choice, but people are willing to look elsewhere, then I suspect that those people will go to either Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis because they have the command of the issues. They speak forthrightly. I think it shows that they were both governors. There's something about governors. We've forgotten this as a country, but we used to really like governors in America because it is the equivalent of the president at the state level. So those two won. Nikki Haley probably slightly edged out DeSantis. I didn't think anyone else needed to be there, frankly. Uh, you know no. my views on Vivek. Uh, I think Vivek is an absolute disaster. Um, and then Tim Scott fades into the background, which is the last thing you want to do when you're president. And Chris Christie is just irredeemably out of kilter with where the Republican Party is at the moment. It is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And isn't his spicy self? It's like he is, you know, we're looking at the numbers of how you're going to make the next presidential debate, you know, the one in on December 6th. And it's only getting tougher. Like the requirements mm -hmm. are only getting higher. Chris Christie needs a viral moment. He, he needed to get out there and come out swinging last night so that he could drive up his numbers if he want to make if he wants to make the dance. It didn't happen now of all times to choose the I'm the sober, reserved, judicious one. I just I didn't get the strategy. I will say I thought Ron DeSantis, he's had the same approach in every debate, like I'm likable. Madam Suburbia, I'm likable hmm. and I'm trustworthy and I'm I've got sound policies, but he never really has a viral moment. He too, like Vivek, can sound rehearsed. You know, we've heard the stone cold dead thing a few times, and we've heard the bit on Trump. He should be here. And he, it's like he'd be he needs to do some off-the-cuff arguing in order to for people to really connect. Um, so I don't know. Did you think DeSantis made any headway with with voters who were not going to vote with him but for him before? Well, I think DeSantis has much more space to grow into than Christie, even at this later stage. You, you said that Christie hasn't had that sort of uh, 
vibe that he used to have. I think the reason for that is that Christie's not suited to the moment. You hear that phrase, cometh the hour, cometh the moment. Christie was perfectly suited for what he did back in the 2010s, which was turn around a blue state, take on teachers' unions, um, kick some ass. That's what he's good at. He's just so far out of kilter with the Republicans at the moment. He's never yeah. going to do that. Now, DeSantis actually is and quite he, wait, wait, close. Hold that thought on DeSantis, because I teed it right. up and then I have to take a break. But I, <laughs> I definitely want to hear you what you think about DeSantis, because I know you really like him. But did he do anything to change the game? That's the question. We'll pick that up when we come right back with Charles C.W. Cook. Don't go away. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Bosch tools are built for workers. The Bosch X-Lock Grinder switches wheels up to five times faster than standard grinders, helping you go from grinding to cutting more quickly. Bosch tools, what hard workers deserve. Learn more at BoschTools.com. I would be telling BB, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. He cannot live with that threat right by his country. Welcome back to The Megyn Kelly Show. My guest is Charles C.W. Cook, senior writer at National Review and host of the Charles C.W. Cook podcast. So that was a strong answer from Ron DeSantis. And I have to say, they all gave strong answers on Israel. Listening to them up there, I was thinking, my God, you know, I am sympathetic toward Israel and it's what's happened to it. Um, but I think anybody, Democrat or Republican, watching those guys would say, yes, I I would vote for any of them, even Vivek, who's less hawkish, but was saying the right things. But I agree with you overall. It was a pretty familiar performance from Republicans on a stage. Uh, my colleague Noah Rothman at National Review said, that's the Republican Party I recognize. There Noah was... and John Podoritz were like single tier. Oh, the yeah. neocons. And I, I love that. They open they own it, but they were like, yes, this is the Republican Party we could have had had it not been for Trump. Well, you know, I would push back a little bit on that, Megan. I, I am less of a hawk than Noah is, certainly. But I, I think the the vast majority of Americans uh are behind Israel. If you look at polling, um, I think I read 28% of Democrats not just Americans, but just Democrats think that Joe Biden has given too much support to Israel. The rest think it's either been the exactly the right amount or not enough. Um, when you when you broaden that out to all Americans, I think the, the too much number drops to 20%. And so we do sometimes get a false impression of this in the media and we listen to elite institutions, academia, uh, corporate America and the Democratic Party. And we think that there is this raging conversation in the United States about whether or not Israel should go in hard against Hamas or whether or not Hamas is to blame for everything that's followed, um, whether or not Israel or Hamas is in the right. But there really isn't. And I think what you saw yesterday was a reflection of that within the Republican Party that actually belies some of the claims that have been made about this supposed shift in what the GOP stands for. 
uh, as you know, as I probably said on this show before, I don't think the basic political precepts undergirding the GOP have changed very much. I don't see it. If you look at the way that Donald Trump behaved when he was in office, if you look at the accomplishments that he's now selling to the public, if you look at the way big Republican states like Florida and Texas um, operate, if you look at where Republican voters say that they are, there are a few shifts. Some of those are contingent on changed circumstances. Some are genuine ideological moves, but there aren't many. And what we saw last night on the stage, really across the board with a little weakness from Vivek, was a reflection of the fact that the Republican Party is still a party that thinks America is a force for good in the world, that believes in order, and that sides with Israel, which is a free democracy, and not with, and I'm not saying Palestinians, but not with Hamas. Uh, and I, I think that was encouraging and uh, should serve as a reminder. But then when you broaden it out, it gets more complicated, right? So Nikki uh, was much more hawkish on Ukraine. So is Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis. He's been kind of, I'm mm, forgive me about a little mealy mouthed on Ukraine. You know, yeah. you know, he's kind of been trying to flirt with the Vivek Trump line of like, it's kind of somebody else's problem. Um, and Vivek just owns that openly. And then, so they're less hawkish, the, you know, part of the party on Ukraine. But they had an interesting discussion last night on Iran where those fault lines expose themselves too. And I, follow Ann Coulter and her Substack. She's always interesting and provocative. And she was like, three out of the five candidates up there want to bomb everybody. They want to bomb Iran and they want to bomb Syria. They, you know, like there's going to be a lot of bombing going on if the more hawkish three uh, get their hands anywhere near power. I think she was accepting DeSantis and Vivek from all of that. So what did you make of the discussion on Iran and just how far the U.S. is willing to go when it comes to fighting on behalf of Israel or supporting Israel? Well, there was the distinction that you draw, but I would remind everyone that this is often how politicians talk during debates. And if you go back to 2016, it was always interesting to watch Trump because he would simultaneously criticize who he regarded on the stage as being warmongers or neocons or whatever other epithets you want to throw at them. He would say that they were responsible for the disaster in Iraq, or they would overextend America, or they'd want to bomb Iran or what you will. Um, but then he himself would sound incredibly belligerent. He would talk about you know the rubble bouncing and destroying people, um, which partly was an attempt to show that he would be um, a, a, a hard man as president without necessarily getting into wars. But partly it's what the audience wanted to hear. So I, I'm, I, there is a policy difference, as you outline, on Ukraine. That one is, is clear. Um, there was a policy difference to some extent on Iran. But presidential candidates in the Republican Party do talk like that. They want to seem resolute. They probably talk like that at the moment more than ever. Uh, because they're, they're trying to break through and distinguish themselves from or at least put themselves on the same pedestal as Donald Trump. So I think I think that explains some of it. I'm not totally convinced that, that there is a, a plan, you know, Nikki Haley's heart to, to go and bomb Iran. I think she's just trying to seem resolute. Mm. Well, Iran came up because they've been they've been bombing. They've been sending, um, you know, various yeah. munitions over at U.S., facilities overseas 
and some 40 U.S. service personnel have been hurt, though no one killed. But they're talking about some traumatic brain injuries to our troops. And more and more, the question is coming up, what are we going to do? I mean, we're yeah. the United States of America. You don't hurt U.S. troops, especially if you're Iran, and get away with it. And um, so that's why, you know, they, they were asking, what would you do? What, what will you do? Um, DeSantis had a strong answer on it. Here's how he sounded on that last night in SOT 7. I would say you you harm a hair on the head of an American service member and you are going to have hell to pay. We are not just going to sit there and let our service members be sitting ducks. Okay, but I have to say this goes back to the the point I was making earlier in the show, Charles, which is all these guys like Vivek, I'm going to smoke them at the southern border and Ron DeSantis like you're going to be stone cold dead. They're all trying to have a little John Wayne moment. They want us to believe they're this guy. Watch. They want us to believe they're John Wayne. Farrell, you and your brother stand clear. <laughs> I got no interest in you today. Stand clear and you won't get hurt. <laughs> and you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm sorry, but they're not. And no one's buying it. Like, it's great to be like, you harm a hair on their head and you little lady. And I'm going to, but like, realistically, what they're trying to get at is what are you going to do to Iran? Because no one wants World War III with them. Sure. But what is your objection there? Because I think it was about a week ago that Donald Trump said, if they spill a drop of our soldiers' blood, we spill a gallon of theirs, which is a John Wayne style thing to say. I mean, it's a great movie, but by the way. I watched that a couple of weeks ago. Like, Trump right. can say what he wants because when in office, he did drop a bomb on Soleimani and it sure. was uh, it definitely was really... deterrence live in action. Right. But do you doubt, for example, that Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis will, or Chris Christie, for that matter, would have killed Soleimani? Yes, I do. You do? See, I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I think that one of the reasons that they talk like that is because that's how Republican presidential candidates tend to talk. I mean, if you go back to the 1980 election, the stuff that Ronald Reagan used to say about the Soviet Union actually scared some voters because they thought he might start a hot war with the Soviet Union, but really did distinguish him from Jimmy Carter and 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 was was cowboyish in nature. I, I just see this as part of the dance that Republicans go through when they're trying to convince the public that they are capable of being the commander in chief. Mm. Do you really believe that Ron DeSantis is going to start shooting people coming across the southern border, stone no. cold, dead? I mean, no. OK, if you think no, I think that's Ramaswamy is going to smoke him. He's going to smoke the people at the southern border like no, okay. but I but I think that if Trump, who ran as the relatively dovish candidate, both in the Republican primary and in the general election against Hillary, ended up lobbing bombs into was it Libya, Syria, um, and then uh, killing Soleimani and, and issuing all sorts of semi-amusing threats, I, I really don't think it will be beyond the ken of a, a, a Ron DeSantis or a... Uh, Nikki Haley to to project strength, which is a separate I question the, from the starting reason I war. Said that, and I, I get that they're hawkish and that they're strong. Republicans in general on national security are strong. But the reason I just I doubt it is because it was a bold move to take him out. And it was criticized yeah. by the right and the left at the time. And people really thought that Iran was going to respond in a way that was going to get us in a, a lot of trouble that Republicans and Democrats wanted to avoid. 
And Trump has since only recently told the story about how even Netanyahu was like, I'm not in on this. I'll help you with some intel. But when push came to shove, he didn't help us actually take him out. And Bibi Netanyahu is as hawkish as they come. So I I do mm. have my doubts about whether somebody as you know, less erratic than Donald Trump would have actually given the OK on that. And that's that's a compliment to Trump because he he did have this unsteadying and does force about him, which can be used for evil or for good. And, and in that case, it was 100 percent for good. Not for nothing, but Trump was talking recently about a couple of things. I'll only play the one soundbite, but he talked about that moment where they bombed Soleimani, tried to claim that the that the prime minister of Pakistan told him he had to go into his home for a week and couldn't come out because he just had to like reevaluate his life's choices. He like so bold was Trump and his inspo. And then all the fact checkers came out and said, actually, he was seen like the next day and the day after that and the day after that. <laughs> and, and and none of that. I don't whatever. But. He did talk about how Iran did something similar to what they're doing now um, after we, we took out Soleimani, like saber rattling and revealed, I think for the first time, that they had given us the heads up they were going to do it. We have the soundbite here. It's interesting. Sot 29. When Iran shot down a drone, a metal drone, was 14 years old, not very valuable, flying very near Iran, but we had to hit them. So we hit them quite hard. We knocked out their radar and different things. They told us that don't be concerned. We're going to launch 18 missiles at your military base, but none of them will hit the base. Five of them blew up in the air, didn't make it, and the others hit outside the base area. So they told me that they were going to hit us, but we, they were just, they just had to do it. Now, I never told that story before, but you know what that story is about? Respect for our nation. What do you make of it? It's interesting to hear a former president giving details like that out from the stump, <laughs> number one. But respect for the nation and the deterrent effect of having a strong commander in chief is a fair point to be raising right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it highlights once again, though, that Trump is sort of incoherent on this because he wants to be the anti-war guy, but also he wants to be the strongest guy. And I think the foreign policy of the Trump administration was pretty good. Don't get me wrong. But I also think some of the categorizations you hear are, are odd. Some of the words we use. Uh, what do I make of that? Um, I do think there is something to the idea that if you have a crazy president, people are worried about what they're going to do <laughs> and behave accordingly. I think you can overstate that case, but I think some of that is true. I think it's probably not an accident uh, that we have seen much more turmoil in the world under Joe Biden than we have under Trump, because Trump was just so unpredictable and alarmed people. Um, mm -hmm. I wish he hadn't told that story. I, I don't think that's the role of presidents to reveal that sort of information. Um, it doesn't make the it, current it guy's jarring. job any easier. Yeah, it was kind of jarring. Like, I'm not sure we should yeah. be knowing this, but no. Um, well, he hasn't exactly been uh, been jealous of national security information. Has he? <laughs> <laughs> As it turns out, that's not been an issue for him. Um, <laughs> while we're on foreign policy, let's stay with Ukraine, because Vivek came out with this sort of string. He's very, very hardcore anti-Ukraine. Doesn't doesn't seem to much like the the government there, the way it's set up, and really doesn't want us to be helping in any way, shape, or form. 
Um, and so he went out and sort of ticked off a bunch of reasons why he doesn't want to help them anymore. And in it, he appears to have, though he's now denying that he did, called Zelensky a Nazi. Zelensky is Jewish and not a Nazi. And Vivek's trying to undo this now, but it's an interesting moment and he's catching some flack for it. Here's the soundbite. I'm actually enjoying watching the Ukraine hawks quietly, delicately tiptoe back from their position as this thing has unwound into a disaster. The first half of this race, I was the only person standing for it. Now they're actually quietly coming around to being more cautious as they should. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. It has consolidated all media into one state TV media arm. That's not democratic. It has threatened not to hold elections this year. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, doing it in their own ranks. Those are the hard facts. And sort of frame this as some kind of battle between good versus evil, don't buy it. I am telling you, Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. They would love to see Okay, so now, mm -hmm. because a lot of people were like, okay, Zelensky's a Nazi? So no, you can have legitimate criticisms of Ukraine and where's our money going and are they corrupt and all that, but Zelensky's not a Nazi. Um, so now he's trying to say he wasn't referring to Zelensky, even though he said a comedian in car cargo pants, Zelensky. Zelensky was a, he is a former comedian. He does wear cargo pants all the time. He's trying to say he was referring to what happened in the Canadian parliament where Zelensky did happen to be present and some Canadian lawmaker chose to honor this guy after he was like 98 years old and they tried to give him, they did honor him. Zelensky had nothing to do with it. He was just there. Turned out the guy was a Nazi who actually served under Hitler. That Canadian politician resigned. He was embarrassed. They took back the honor. It wasn't a Zelensky thing, but now he's trying to say that somehow blame that on Ukraine in his explanation for why he said what he said. Mm, I'm not sure what's happening here. What do you think is happening here? Look, we've all misspoken. So I'll say this with some humility, but I've read the transcript of that moment and I've listened to him say it out loud five or six times now, and I just can't see it. The, the way that it immediately follows his use of the word Nazi, the description of Zelensky, both in print and the inflection in his voice seems to me as if he's suggesting that Zelensky is a Nazi, which it's worth saying is what Vladimir Putin says. That's his excuse. Either way, that is rendered in service of what is ultimately a straw man. I don't think that it matters enormously whether or not Ukraine is a wonderful place. And this is one of the criticisms that I've had, in fact, of those on the left who have turned Ukraine into paradise. I think progressives mm -hmm. really can't help but do this. They put the flag outside of their house and they have to believe that it's the best place in the world. You're actually seeing some of that weirdness at the moment with Gaza. The reason that the United States should, not with a blank check, but should support Ukraine, uh, even if just morally, is that Ukraine was invaded. That's it. Ukraine was a sovereign state that was invaded by its neighbor in a war of conquest. For some reason, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy seems to think that this is a matter of good and evil, that, that if you can criticize Ukraine, which we should in many ways, then that 
argument falls apart. And I don't think it does. And I just wonder if he got a little bit over-exuberant. One of the criticisms of him that I think has the most merit is he's just too online. You know, at one point Mm -hmm. he said to the moderators, oh, well, this should be moderated by Tucker Carlson and Joe Rogan. Um, Okay, but that's the sort of thing you... And Elon Musk, uh, look, that's fine, but that's the sort of thing that you actually don't hear from normal American voters. I've never, I take my kids to baseball practice. People do talk politics sometimes. I've never heard anyone say anything of the sort. They're all concerned with the price of food. They're concerned with the price of gas. They're concerned with the international situation. He's very online. And I wonder whether he got over-exuberant in his criticisms of Ukraine and he ranged beyond the the reasonable point, which is that it's it's not you know it's not some nineteenth century New England democracy. He ranged into this this underworld idea that is actually uh, the the successor to Nazi Germany, and now he's trying to walk it back. Mm-hmm. By the way, is your son still batting a thousand? Yes, he actually finished the season batting a thousand. His team went out in the playoffs, but he finished he finished the season batting a thousand. It's crazy. Amazing. <laughs> Charles got a prodigy uh, at home in the there baseball arena, and he's just a little guy. Um, so let's zoom out. Did anything change as a result of last night? We went into it with Haley on an upward trajectory in the polls. Ron DeSantis had stuttered. Tim Scott, I predict, is going to be out of this thing within the next two weeks. Um, certainly before the next debate, Chris Christie, if he doesn't make the next debate, he's effectively done. I mean, it's it's over. Um, so we're left with Ramaswamy, Haley, DeSantis, and Vivek, too, has polls that have stalled out. So maybe effectively only DeSantis and Haley. But all of that ignores the fact that they're almost 50 points behind the Republican frontrunner, Donald Trump, who might be faring poorly in these debates if he were to show up, you know, who doesn't have the fastball that he had back in 16, something DeSantis has been pointing out, but we're never going to know because you could argue wisely he's chosen not to subject himself to that and the voters are not penalizing him for it. Has anything changed? So I'm going to give you a no and a yes, if I may, because I live in this weird Schrodinger's world with this primary season where I'm never quite sure what's going on. And I sometimes think two things are going on at once. So uh, no, in the sense that nobody has broken out. It's difficult to do without Trump on the stage or there. But nobody has had such a moment that the whole country has jumped out of bed in the morning and said, my goodness me, did you see what X or Y said last night in the debate. So in that sense, no. Uh, the inertia helps Donald Trump. He has this big polling advantage. It doesn't seem to be moving anywhere. Although people uh, at the bottom of the polling list have shuffled around a little bit, Trump has stayed constant at the top. That's the no. The yes is that both Haley and DeSantis have now fairly routinely, both in debates and in campaign events and other um, uh, circumstances, kept themselves in it. And if Trump does turn out this time to be a paper tiger, or if it does turn out that people weren't paying attention, or if it does turn out that the voters in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and elsewhere are actually far more open to alternatives than it looks as if they are at the moment, that's going to matter enormously. But in a, in one sense, what we've seen is this mattering in terms of attrition. It matters because it is now, I think, fundamentally obvious that Tim Scott's just not going to make it. He's not going to be there. He's not going to be attractive to voters 
if Donald Trump stumbles or turns out to be Potemkin. Uh, I think Chris Christie never was, and Vivek has just revealed himself to be a troll. Um, but DeSantis is viable. Uh, and Nikki Haley is viable. I do have some questions uh, about uh, her appeal across the board, although I think she'd be a really strong general election candidate. So I think the answer is no, in that nothing's changed. But it really depends on your theory of the race. If you think, I'm sort of 30% thinking this, 70% not. If you think that maybe something has to give, and that this will ultimately come down to a dogfight between two people, then yeah, DeSantis and Haley have done what they need to do. And it's more impressive from Haley because everyone thought six months ago that DeSantis was going to be the one standing with Trump at the end or challenging Trump. Nikki Haley was at the edges, and yet she's now put herself in a position uh, where she could well be uh, engaged in a, a real fight if the circumstances change, which I should say I don't think they're necessarily going to. Well, the interesting thing about them changing is today there was news out of Minnesota that one of those challenges to keep Trump off the ballot because he's an alleged insurrectionist got decided in Trump's favor. But the judge didn't decide it by interpreting the U.S. Constitution. The judge went off of some Michigan law. And therefore, as I understand it, the big challenge uh, under the U.S. Constitution is preserved and could still be raised. There's a trial underway right now in Colorado where they're examining this issue. Can he be kicked off the ballot because he allegedly engaged in an insurrection? I don't believe that this applies, but I'm not a judge. And this is like a very, very long shot. But there are those challenges in a few states. And what if what if they went against Trump? What if we had a ruling in three of the six swing states that Donald Trump cannot be on the ballot? I mean, at that point, Republicans really will have to say to themselves, my God, we're going to lose if we stick with him. Like, There are ways in which what we're watching now could become really important really fast. And Nikki and uh, Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis may be vying for that top non-Trump spot. I think Vivek is vying for the top almost Trump spot. So so where he can say. I know 45 percent of the party finds me obnoxious and unlikable, but some 35 percent that loves Trump loves me and I can get the remainder. I can do it. So I see his role and I see why he's still in it and I see why he's still a valuable candidate up there offering different POVs from the MAGA angle uh, on all these issues. In any event, it's a long shot. I haven't even talked about Trump's criminal trials and all that, but I'm talking about something that could soon lead voters to say he can't be on the ticket. We'll see. (laughs) We'll see, Charles. Well, and I'm bothered by this as an American citizen who really cares about policy and the future and the prospects for my five-year-old batting 1,000. This is not a game. And we're not in 1996 where things are looking up. And most Americans say they don't really care who wins and only 48 percent of them turn out to vote. I mean, we really are in trouble. I'm optimistic, as you know, I tend to be the sunny, optimistic guy and I am still in the long run. But this isn't a good moment. I'm not going to indulge in all of that doom mongering and say this is the last election. This is the only election that matters. It's not true. But this election really does matter. I mean, we still have bad inflation. Prices are high. They're not coming down. We have highest interest rates we've had for 
a long, long time, 40 years, difficult to buy a house for most people. Um, we've got uh, the world on fire. We have this horrible progressive ideology that is striking at the founding precepts that have made this country what it is. We're spending more money on the debt uh, than we spend on the defense budget, or at least we will be um, in a couple of months. Uh, we have no plan to fix entitlements. We have no plan to fix um, our deficits. Uh, and uh, we have crime on the up and we have an open southern border. And I just I am surprised, I have to say, that there seems to be less concern in the Republican primary electorate about picking Donald Trump for the reasons that you just outlined, partly because of the 91 indictments, some civil, some criminal that he's currently fighting, and partly because it seems possible that he's going to be kicked off the ballot in enough states to make him unable mm. to win the Electoral College. That would worry me, even if I were a Donald Trump guy, which I'm very much not, just as, just as a, a generic Republican problem. That seems absolutely enormous <laughs> to me, given the scale yeah. of the challenge that the United States faces here, which again, is great compared to where it has been in a whole bunch of um, elections of the past. Yeah, it's not exactly 1968, but it's not great. As you're right, it's not 96 either. Charles, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. All right, to be continued with Charles back soon, I hope. And up next, one of our other faves, Michael Knowles is here. Got some questions for him about America's evil top hat, also known as Canada. That came up last night. We'll get into it. I'm Megan Kelly, host of The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM. It's your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations with the most interesting and important political, legal, and cultural figures today. You can catch The Megan Kelly Show on Triumph, a Sirius XM channel featuring lots of hosts you may know and probably love. Great people like Dr. Laura, Glenn Beck, Nancy Grace, Dave Ramsey, and yours truly, Megan Kelly. You can stream The Megan Kelly Show on Sirius XM at home or anywhere you are, no car required. I do it all the time. I love the Sirius XM app. It has ad-free music coverage of every major sport, comedy, talk, podcast, and more. Subscribe now. Get your first three months for free. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MKShow to subscribe and get three months free. That's SiriusXM.com slash MKShow and get three months free. Offer details apply. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Joining me now, Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show over on The Daily Wire. Michael's got a very special announcement that he wants to bring to all of you that we will get to in one moment. But first, MK, from one MK to another, what'd you think last night? Megan, 
I watched that train wreck for one reason and one reason only, and it is that I love you. And I agreed to do it because I knew we would be talking about it today. That is the only reason. I had a very busy day yesterday. And crucially, I knew that even if it had been a good debate and it had been an exciting debate, not one thing that anyone said would affect the race at all. I was trying to figure out what is going to be my hot take on the debate. And I think my hot take is that the guy who's 49 points behind the GOP frontrunner who didn't show up, he had a few good zingers and he had some interesting insights. But probably the guy who's only 44 points behind the GOP frontrunner, he probably won the debate because he had the most mainstream and impressive answers. And the people who are 54 points and 56 points respectively behind the GOP front runner. They did not do quite as well. And what's the upshot of all of it? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. Yes. I will say this, though. I I've been thinking a lot about it because when I was, you know, deciding, do I do I want to moderate a debate right now without the front runner? We're like and I thought, you know, I do want to do it because I think it's good for America. I do. I think it's mm -hmm. good to hear these issues discussed so publicly. I think it's good frankly, for the Republican Party to have their take on these issues so, so public and debated freely and openly and to see, you know, what they have to offer, even if it's not likely to be the ultimate guy. Um, and so I do think it's a service to the voters, even if they don't wind up. And, you know, as we discussed with Charles C.W. Cook, it's not 100 percent that Trump is going to right. be able to do it <laughs> for a bunch of different weird reasons, um, none of which are good reasons. But I Let's just be let's be honest, the, the, the Republicans better make sure they have settled on their first alternate at a minimum. And there's one skinny path potential. Look, DeSantis got endorsed by Kim Reynolds, the Iowa governor. Mm -hmm. That could really help him. There's a there's a chance he could wind up winning. Iowa is always kind of weird. You know, it's, it goes its own way. All due respect to the, the issue. Islands, I just mean, it's it's different. I, and then New Hampshire, sort of Nikki's doing well there. So I don't know. Keep going. I just fear that even if the DeSantis campaign is staking its its whole game on Iowa, when was the last time Iowa picked the Republican nominee? I, it was George W. Bush. I, Iowa did, didn't didn't pick McCain in 2008, right? Didn't pick Romney in 2012, didn't pick Trump in, in 2016 even. So, uh, you know, I, I it's not a knock on DeSantis. I think he's doing a good job. I think he basically won the debate last night. I agree with you. The debates are important because if you have the liberal establishment trying to throw the GOP frontrunner into a gulag or ostracize him to St. Helena, there is a chance they'll succeed. They're, they're very good at political machinations and political organizing, even as we saw in those awful election results just a couple nights ago. So it could happen. And that's why those candidates are all still on the stage there. And they are representing different aspects of the Republican Party. You've got uh, Vivek representing the more online, younger Republican views, probably. You've got uh, Ron DeSantis representing a Trumpier and more traditionally conservative, yet still broadly mainstream Republican view. You've got Nikki Haley representing probably a Republican view that more of us are familiar with over the last 20 years. You've got Chris Christie representing the Democrat view. It's nice that he's on stage, I guess. And you've got <laughs> Tim Scott. T Tim was probably the most interesting one last night. And this went totally unnoticed in most reactions to it, which is that he said that America is fundamentally and essentially a Christian nation. So Tim Scott, who some people think is milk toast, and he's a really sweet, very nice man. 
he was articulating a pretty coherent vision of Christian nationalism last night, saying that the presidencies of Abraham Lincoln, of Ronald Reagan, don't make any sense if America's not a Christian nation. The founding era doesn't make any sense if America's not Christian. And if America really does turn away from Christianity, then we'll become some other different country. Maybe we'll succeed, maybe we won't, but we won't be what America has been. So you actually did see an array of views come out last night. And frankly, the moderators were were considerably better than we've seen at some of the earlier debates, even though they're mm -hmm. NBC liberals. I'm just looking forward to a competent moderator finally taking over, which I think is happening at the very next debate. <laughs> there will be three competent people out there that night. I'm excited for it. Um, let's let's talk about the, because the last time you were on, you nicknamed Canada our evil top hat, which is just yeah. one of your best lines, and you've had many. Um, Canada came up repeatedly last night. Suddenly we're turning our eye around Canada, and not just because of Justin Trudeau. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy turned the debate about our southern border into a debate about the evil top hat. Listen to SOT 13. I'm the only candidate on the stage, as far as I'm aware, who has actually visited the northern border. There was enough fentanyl that was captured just on the northern border last year to kill three million Americans. So we got to just skate to where the puck is going, not just where the puck is. Don't just build the wall, build both walls. Can't just complete the wall, use the military to seal the Swiss cheese for the tunnels that they're actually building underneath that wall. Okay. So he, he wants to build a wall along the northern border too. All the walls. We're just, we're going to do, we're going to box ourselves. We get, let's do walls on the coasts. We'll do it north. We'll do it south. Like all of it. And by the way, he's like, as far as I know, I'm the only one who's visited the northern border. But like none of them has ever gone to Canada. <laughs> the dereliction. <laughs> That's true. Think of all the delicious Tim Hortons the other GOP candidates have missed out on. I have to say, though, you know that I have a, a great deal of disdain for the leadership of America's evil top hat. I actually think my friend Vivek is misguided here because one of the arguments for taking people in across the border is political asylum. And right now in through Mexico, there's really no need for political asylum. The argument from the left is that people fleeing Ecuador or people fleeing Guatemala or Honduras, they're running away from cartels, they're running away from all sorts of terrible situations. And so we need to give them political asylum in the United States. But of course, if you're if you're fleeing from a country in Southern or the Southern part of Central America, there are several countries that you pass along the way where they could seek political asylum. So the ones who mm -hmm. keep going usually are just doing so for economic opportunity. They're economic migrants. The same cannot be said of those fleeing America's evil top hat. The, the Trudeau government, I'm, I'm not joking at all, has persecuted Christians and has persecuted conservatives and ordinary people, people who just want to work and not have their industries shut true. down by, by radical environmentalists. And so I think if, if we're going to find middle ground with the left at all on political asylum, we, we should find middle ground with political asylum, not from the, the southern border, but from the, the northern border, where people who are just trying to live an ordinary, good, traditional, religious way of life sincerely are being persecuted. So we need to bring all of them over here. That's the only refugee and asylum move that I'm, I'm backing. And then we can follow Vivek's plan and erect a big, beautiful wall to keep Fidel Castro's son locked up there in Canada. I'm, I'm just so confused about how exactly we will pay for that wall up there 
and cover the extremely mountainous terrain between us and them and um, like exactly what problem we're trying to solve. I realize there are some who come across that we don't want, but we'll see whether walls all around. Let's make America an open air prison catches on. It, it, one never knows. Um, Megan, the Debbie, answer. Canadian Debbie, my executive producer, one of them. She's um, she's from Canada. She lives there now. She's from Ohio, but she left me and moved to Canada along with Kelly McGuire, two of my top people living in Canada. Canada right now. They're doing the show from Canada. And this wow. is what they wanted to say to Vivek Ramaswamy, reminded them of the following in SOT 14. We must stop dirty language from getting to our children's ears. We must go fight the source of it. But what is the source? Oh, that's easy. Times have changed. Our kids are, our getting, kids are worse. getting worse. They won't obey their parents. They just want to fight and curse. Should we blame the government or blame society? Or should we blame the images on TV? No, blame Canada. It seems that everything's gone wrong since Canada came along. Blame Canada. Not even a real country anyway. <laughs> One of the greatest South Park skits ever. Prescient as always, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I've got an answer for your question, though, Megan. You say, I don't know how we're going to pay for the wall on, on our northern border. And the answer is maple syrup tariffs. That's how. People don't understand how valuable that delicious syrup is. You institute a 7 or 8,000% tariff on maple syrup, you're going to pay for that whole border. <laughs> Okay, or we can start taxing cigars. I don't know if, if Canada is known for its cigars. You're going to walk me through it. But this is the thing. I'm kind of interested in this, I have to say. They said Michael wants to promote new, a new cigar line that, that he's behind and the Daily Wire is behind. And I don't, I'm not into cigars, but re reading like the write-up about what how important they've been to you and what these supposedly taste like. Yeah. I started to kind of get into it, my friend, and I want you to walk me through the joy of the cigar and what you're doing. I'm really honored, Megan, that you that you would do that and maybe even consider having a cigar. This is my cigar, Mayflower Cigars. I wish I could tell people to go buy it right now at MayflowerCigars.com. We sold out of a four-month supply in something like nine hours or something. <laughs> it was wow. certainly within 24 hours. It, it completely took off. And you mentioned that I, I had this little about section on the website that was uncharacteristically heartfelt for a product coming from the Daily Wire. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but cigars <laughs> have been very important to me. I started having cigars when I was 15, which is actually old for Italian people. You know, I was a little uh, aged at that point. Uh, I wrote my college admissions essay about how much I love cigars. I got my job. I got my show at the Daily Wire by writing a cigar review column. One of my most cherished possessions is a box of cigars my mother gave me like 15 years ago or something. I still have it. This cigar is made at that factory, that very same factory that made that cherished box of cigars. It's a blend we've been working on for a year. It is named Mayflower after some of my non-Italian ancestors who came over here on that ship uh, fleeing religious persecution as many many are fleeing today and the argument for cigars is that the, the body is a temple the temple needs incense it's a wonderful way to relax there's a health risk with anything you have to be 21 years old or older to buy them and exclusions apply and all the rest of it but I find that the, it's a way especially for men to relax a little bit, to be introspective, to have a conversation with one another. It's a luxury that is accessible. You can get an extraordinarily high quality cigar for like 12 bucks. The same cannot be said of uh, scotches or wines or anything like that. Uh, so it's also the first 
product that we've ever released from the Daily Wire that wasn't just punching somebody in the face. Mm -hmm. You know, when yeah. we release a, a like razor Jeremy's company. Razors. Yes, <laughs> Jeremy's razors, Jeremy's chocolates, which I have somewhere around my, my studio too. This cigar, we didn't know if it was going to work because, uh, you know, while I may lack uh, expertise and hard skills in basically any area whatsoever, I do know a fair bit about cigars. We have two blends here, the Mayflower Dusk and the Mayflower Dawn. And, uh, but the, the rapid success, I mean, this might, might be the most successful consumer product we've ever put out. Uh, to me, what it says is that what, what people long for in our culture is an excellent quality product from people they trust to know what they're talking about the product at a competitive price. And if you had said that, that, that people would be longing for that 20 years ago, people would look at you like you had three heads. What are you talking about? That's just the free market. But today we have companies, first of all, that hate us who sell us products. And we've, we've taken over this ethos of just shipping everything overseas, making everything as cheaply as possible, not taking a moment to smell the roses or smell the Mayflowers, you know, just constantly hustling and bustling and getting the cheapest good further and further away. The little personal, personal connection to me is, is really meaningful because it's a company that I'd been thinking of for 15 years. And the fact that, uh, now, as, as the libs want everybody to smoke the devil's lettuce and the sin spinach, that people are going to sit back with a nice traditional cigar and relax, I think is just delightful. There's so much in there. Wait, let's just be clear before we, we gloss over it. They're, they're on back order. But if people want to try this, how do they do it exactly? So they go to MayflowerCigars.com. We launched with two cigar blends, the Dawn and the Dusk which comes from a famous painting of the Mayflower. And there are different sizes in each, smaller ones, bigger ones. Uh, they, are, they are all sold out right now. What I would recommend is if you want to try the cigar, we are working very hard to get these cigars restocked. We've got a new shipment coming up from Nicaragua, which produces probably the best cigars in the world today. Uh, we've got that coming up, but there is going to be a lag once we get this next shipment because the cigars take weeks if not months to age so if you want to get any uh, to try any of these cigars i would order just whatever pops up on the website in the restock and then you can put your email address assuming you're 21 years old or older you can put your email address on the website you'll get a notification when it comes back up uh, because so you'll get them you'll get them eventually you, you might you'll get, get them it. eventually it might take a little while but you'll get them eventually but yeah. can i ask you i'm very interested in the fact that you wrote your i mean you went to yale so it, and you were smoking cigars then when you were applying to Yale, which is yeah. young. I've never had a cigar. I've, I'm such, I was saying this to Jordan uh, Belfort the other day. I'm such a goody two-shoes. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tried a drug. I've never had a cigar. I, ha I do drink. So that's something. But <laughs> I got that. But what, what does it, is, is it gives you like a high? What, when, the way you're describing the way you feel when you ha smoke a cigar. Could you expand on it? It doesn't give you a high because you don't inhale it or you'll hack up a lung. You get a little touch of nicotine here and there. So, some cigars are stronger than others. But it it's a it's something that seems like a vice. I actually don't think it is a vice. But it seems like a vice and, and gives you an opportunity to relax and not just be constantly glued to work or anxiety. You know, I, I sometimes talk about the health benefits of cigars, which I'm only half joking about because it's it's the one time that I really get to relax during the day is at night with a book. Maybe I'll have a drink of something. And so, you know, people have said, well, Michael, your family must have been completely insane to let you start smoking cigars at 15. And I thought, well, there are a lot of worse things that a 15 year old boy can oh, get yeah. up to. And that the fact that I, I was, and this is true of a lot of cigar smokers, that I would channel that into something that is 
relatively quite moderate compared to other things, uh, I think is helpful. Cigars spur the great conversations. You know, men, we can't just sit down and talk to each other. We feel that's kind of weird, you know? We can't just have a phone call. So we sit, especially over a cigar, you know you're going to get about 45 minutes of just excellent conversation. You're not you're not necessarily doing business. You're not doing anything utilitarian. It's, it's an indulgence. And it's something that's accessible to everyone. You know, cigars are the great equalizer. You go to any cigar lounge. I've been to many, if not most of them in the country. And you'll sit down with a construction worker and a CEO and a politician and doesn't matter. Everybody is equal. Everybody's uh, you know, e- engaging in the same delight and, and, and partaking in the conversation. I, I just love them. And so I, I did speak to my admissions officer in college. She told me there was some question about whether they should admit a guy who wrote his uh, admissions essay about a drug, but they, they let me in anyway. <laughs> I started a club in school called the Society for Intellectual Growth and Reinvigoration or Cigar. That was a way to, to scam Yale into paying for my uh, habit. And uh, <laughs> you know, then wrote a column that got me this show. It's, it's much deeper, you know, uh, there was an excellent essay, I think it was in first things that, that compared the three prominent types of tobacco to the tripartite soul. The pipe is for the logic, you know, the philosopher sitting with this pipe, the cigarettes are for the appetite. They're the appetitive part of the soul. It's just an addiction, but the cigars are for the thumos, the thumotic spirited part of the soul for your magnanimity. It's, it's outward. You think of Winston Churchill. You think of the chest puffing out the smoke. Have I gone too far down the rabbit hole, Megan? Have I convinced you no. to have a cigar? No, I, I love listening to you. I, everything you say is always so fascinating. I only understand about 55% of it. <laughs> it's mellifluous, just the way you speak about the things that you love or you judge. Either way, I'll take you on on, on all of these things. Maybe tonight um, I will crack one open and then wow. Doug's going to have to show me how to do that. But um, yes, I will. Uh, Doug will look over and I'll be, I don't know. How do you even say it? Stoking a hoagie? What is it? Stoking a hoagie. I think that's going to be the new, I, I don't think I've ever heard that phrase before. That's what I'm now going to, I can't wait. Megan, next time we run into each other in person, I can't wait to stoke a hoagie with you. <laughs> it's a miracle you keep coming on. Sorry you have to deal with this. Michael, thank you. Great to be thank with you, you Megan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good luck with it. And thanks to all of you for being with us today and all week. Tomorrow, Charlie Kirk is here. That's going to be fun. Um, so we'll talk with him about what he thought about the debate, too. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 